Leading a school district is a unique responsibility, and it's clearly not getting any easier. People rely on you for answers to complicated problems, which feels isolating and sometimes unrealistic. Conferences or webinars, even good ones, don't solve problems when you need it. And sitting and staring at slides with someone talking at you doesn't help either. What if there was a better way? What if you belonged to a national, hand-picked community of Java-alike school leaders who could circle up to strategize and solve your most challenging problems when you need it? What if you had access to ongoing content that helped you solve problems and lead every day? There is a better way. When you join Leading Ed Solutions, you'll join a carefully selected, highly committed group of Java-like peers from across the country, a support system beyond your backyard, school leaders helping other school leaders. Real people tracking real issues in real time. Simply submit your challenge. We'll circle you up with your peers to provide solutions. Our content works because it's accessible, practical, and created by proven leaders just like you. You don't have to lead alone. Apply to Leading Ed today and discover why circles are better than rows. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like you to introduce you to Tim Elmore. Some of you who are guests currently um, have already seen Tim. Tim was with us last uh, spring. And boy, were things different in last spring. And it was chaotic at that time. In fact, that's exactly what he was helping us with. The title of his uh, presentation to us was Leading Anxious People During a Most Anxious Time. Now, Tim Elmore is many things to me, but um, if you were to look him up, you could see a long, long list of his accomplishments. But I will tell you, he's the CEO and founder of Growing Leaders, and which he's also a best-selling author and international speaker, a world-renowned expert in Generation Y and Generation Z. And Dr. Elmore uses his knowledge to equip educators, coaches, leaders, parents, and other adults to impart practical life and leadership skills to young adults that will help them navigate through life. But even more importantly for me, Tim has become a really good friend, um, a mentor in a number of ways. And I have watched his organization and I befriended him a few years ago and literally just asked him, how do you do what you do? How is it that you create this audience as well as content that really makes such a dramatic impact? And I have learned so much from Tim. So Tim, thank you so much for just spending a few, a few minutes with our, with our leaders today. Jeff, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Thanks. So how do we start with this? Just, you know, you're speaking right now. We're speaking to those that are live, but also the ones that, because we're going to record this and make it available for our members. They are, they're leaders, right? They're superintendents. They're deputy superintendents, either in academics or in operations. They're CFOs. There are a number of things, but they have immense responsibility, most importantly, guiding youth and supporting the community at such a difficult time. So before we dive into the Q&A, maybe just tell us how you're doing. How are things for you? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, have we not all learned that it, it, life now is about not only managing a bunch of other people, but managing ourselves and our own emotions? Um, Jeff, I don't know if you noticed this in your home, but um, I noticed there were phases or stages to this quarantine, this pandemic. At first, it was kind of novel. I mean, it was scary, but hey, I get to be home with my wife. This is kind of cool. I'm off the road. 
And then it went into the boring stage because the routines just got monotonous. And now I think it's for so many just downright annoying. Um, I've tried to manage my attitudes there. But um, Pam and I are doing well. We both caught COVID in October. Uh, so we were infected and we quarantined. And I would say it took me maybe five or six weeks to truly come out of the low energy loss of taste and smell, you know, that sort of thing. But compared to what so many have gone through, we feel very, very fortunate um, in that sense. So, um, yeah, so we, we, we're doing well on the, on the home front. Uh, growing leaders, Jeff, uh, boy, like you, we just had to pivot and adapt. Um, so we released home chats. We were trying to help uh, teachers and parents just have discussions about, you know, managing their emotions and leading themselves well during this time. And then, of course, we released the we released the pandemic population book as rapidly as we could, just as a sort of um, guide and an encyclopedia on how to how to lead in this time of disruption. So we stayed busy. So you know, in terms of this time of disruption, as you describe it, you know, our leaders. What, what do you think is is top of mind or important in terms of your research and findings, um, specific to what's happening right now? Yeah. Um, I kind of have a micro and a macro answer, Jeff. So let me uh, uh, offer macro. The things that the thing that's consuming my mind right now <clears throat> is the fact that we're all going to come move into 2021 with a narrative in our mind. We're going to have a memory of this year, and for most teachers, principals, and even students, it's going to be negative. I mean, we look. Haven't we all joked? You know, this is such a sucky year. It's horrible. You know, we and we cite all the you know, pandemic, protests, panic attacks, political polarization, there's all kinds of peas there. But um, I feel like our biggest job as leaders is to help our people move into the next year with an accurate memory, but a positive narrative. Can I say that again? Yeah. An accurate memory. I need to remember, I'm not in denial. I wasn't a flowery year, but I've got a positive narrative. When I studied the past generations that went through pandemics and even the Great Depression, they were people that came out with a very, very positive narrative. And that's why they were able to become better versions. My mom and dad lived through the Great Depression. They were better versions of themselves having gone through the 30s. So that would be one I'd love for superintendents and administrators to be thinking, how do we guide our people into this accurate memory, but positive narrative? And now the more micro answer is, I just feel like we need to embrace the idea that we're not only leaders, we are therapists, cheerleaders, moms and dads. We just got to wear many hats right now because it can't just be about academic scores. It just can't be. In fact, I don't think we're going to get to the good academic scores unless we first say, how are you doing? And empathize with the troubled times they're in. So I'll stop there. Well, I appreciate the fact that you brought up this positive narrative uh, piece. You know, Tim, I've talked with um, a number of um, really uh, uh, important leaders just over the past few days. And yeah. what I've noticed in my one-on-ones with them, and many of them are our members, is that um, they really tried to, to keep the positive, to be the cheerleader for their community, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and I'm seeing right now this exhaustion set in yeah. Yeah. because we had this expectation, this hope that things would start to wane. It reminded me of something you talked about that I've talked about for years, the Stockdale paradox, right? Yes. That, how do you embrace right the the brutal realities of today or the current realities, yeah. but never lose hope in the end of the story? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I just think people are tired. I do too. In fact, um, the thought, that's, the metaphor um, that has gone through my mind a lot is we entered this pandemic without any training wheels. We, uh, most of us don't remember another pandemic. Now I do, I'm old enough to remember back in 1968, 69 and 70, I was in the third and fourth grade, uh, moving into fifth grade. We had the, uh, the Hong Kong flu come through and it was considered a global pandemic. But Jeff, here's the big difference. I remember, first of all, it was handled by medical experts, not by politicians. And I'm not making a political statement. I'm just saying, we all look to the doctor. How do we do this? Right. Well, we quarantined the people that were infected, not everybody else. So that was kind of nice. Uh, I remember Mrs. Mayo taught me, wash your hands a bunch of times, wash your hands a bunch of times. And we just followed the directions and we got through it. Now, it took a little while because we were nowhere near where we are today with technology and science and medicine. But I just feel like if we can, can not grow weary and well-doing, you know, that's, we believe this, Jeff, we've got to overcome this exhausted in some sense where we say, let's keep doing what we know is right. And we will get to the other side and not lose sight of the, of making it in the end, like right. Admiral James Stockdale. Yeah. Now, um, you know, I, I've been a fan of yours for years and um, our members have really appreciated, have had so many comments our our last conversation that you had with us in spring. Um, now that was, that was before yeah. this, this recent book, you know, the pandemic population. And so um, let, let's shift there because I mm -hmm. found that it to be a really an amazing resource for me as an educator, but also as a parent um, in, in many ways. And I naturally tend to put on that educational leader hat. Yeah. But when I got into the details of the book, I found myself thinking as a parent, which I thought was to be really, really interesting and, and, and insightful in some ways. So, you know, then chapter two, or the first couple of chapters, it does this incredible job, like defining the problem, right? It really gets into, you know, what is happening. And then chapter two launches into what we can learn um, from Gen Z. Um, you know, in the silent generation. And so yeah. I was wondering if you could put some some voice into the themes that you wrote about there. Yeah, sure. It was so much fun. I, I had a blast um, doing this book. Here's why. <clears throat> I began to think, what did past generations do when they went through tough times like this? You know, I really believe we can learn from the past. So what I did was I interviewed loads of people that I would call Great Depression kids. So my dad, uh, my dad, Jeff, I didn't tell you that my dad just passed away last month at 90 years old, uh, but he grew up, he was born in 1930. So he, he grew up during the Great Depression. My mom did, my in-laws did. So I interviewed these Great Depression kids who are now 85 to 95 years old. And I asked them, what did adults in your day do to help you get through this difficult time with resilience and grit and good attitudes? And Jeff, it was so encouraging. I actually got emotional. The first thing I think might be fun for your listeners to hear is I asked them, were you aware that you were going up doing it, growing up during a Great Depression? Most of them said, oh, heavens, no. Oh, heavens, no. You know, in other words, part of the magic was we weren't so aware that it was awful. You know, we're in this together. Let's get through this. Well, today, thanks to social media, you know, if a kid's got a phone at nine years old or 10 years old, they're so aware of how awful this time is and how unemployment's up. I don't know that that's always good. And so 
Well, the answer isn't always to take away the information. It is to guide them through. They don't need us for information. They need us for interpretation. And so um, those Great Depression kids told me the parents uh, expected us to have grit when we were going to get through. Oh, this is a good one. They did. Here's what the people said. Our parents and teachers did not let us become victims of this time. We were going to get a job. Maybe it would only pay 25 cents, you know, a day or whatever, but we're going to make it. We're going to make it. We're going to do this together. One story, Jeff, that you'll appreciate because I know your heart and your mind. Um, one gentleman said he remembers in his neighborhood, all the adults grew different vegetables. So some grew carrots, some grew tomatoes, some grew cabbage. And they said they all took it to the Methodist church basement and they all took their food. And then they all, they shared their food. And I thought, what a cool thing for a community to say. What if we actually did this together, not alone? That's your mantra. Don't do it alone. So anyway, I'll stop there. But it was just such an encouraging interview. And I put that in one of the chapters. Maybe we could repeat this today in our own version uh, in 2020. Yeah. Okay, so I have to ask before I move on to this next question, I, I will ask you. But based upon that story, first off, Tim, I, I didn't know that about your dad. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, I can't believe you dropped that in the middle of this live interview. So um, anyway. Well, he lived a long, full life. He was 90 years old, so he was ready to go. He was ready. Um, but as, so as you, as, as you bring up that example um, that you just yeah. mentioned, um, in, in some ways, I, I can definitely see the emotion around that. But for me, automatically, one of the emotions comes as frustration yeah. um, because of, the way that we are handling this, right? I, um, I have these great concerns about um, how the narrative of now is not the narrative of what you just described where people were unaware. Yeah. We live in nothing, but, yeah. and we're just drowning in bad, negative yeah. news, um, yeah. even though we're you know in the middle of swimming through the challenges. So, yeah. Um, it's 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 inspirational and it's also hard to hear. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. And I wish I had a magic wand for all the school districts represented listening to just do this and everything's going to be you know collaborative. But one of the things they did seem to master from the folks that I talked to that were 90 years old was the kids were raised collaboratively. Uh, in fact, here's a big difference. So back then, a mom down the street might see a kid and they could chew them out just like their own mama could. You know, I mean, that was true about my generation too. Uh, you know, Mrs. Wurzler next door, Mrs. Dooley, two doors down could get on me for doing so. And then they tell my mom, yeah. well, today it seems like if that happens, the parents mad and they're going to chew out the neighbor and then they're going to chew out the parent, the teacher, you know, for giving a bad grade. So um, I think maybe one focus needs to be how can we foster collaboration better in our districts and in our schools We've got to convince parents we have a much better chance of making this together. Uh, you remember the phrase, you travel faster alone, but you travel further together. Yes. And I don't think fast is the answer right now. It's let's go further. And we've just got to figure out a way to do this together. Yeah. So, um, you know, as, as, as the book continues, um, there, there are so many themes that, um, that are really, really important. But you have this... Um, you have this really impressive and loyal reader base and, and people that you serve. What, what have you found in, 
in kind of the, those middle chapters that resonates with people? I mean, you must get feedback based upon the book. What is, what is popping right now? Yeah. Um, two things come to my mind, Jeff. One is something you and I talked briefly about, but um, I really would love to underscore it right now. Um, this is a traumatic time. That is not hyperbole to say. This is a traumatic time. Unemployment, deaths, infections, you know, it, all the stuff going on. We have assumed that people that go through trauma will almost always have some level of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. We've all heard that term. In fact, it started way back in World War I when we called it shell shock. Yeah. The soldiers came home and it was awful. But I discovered as I was researching and then talking to educators about this, only one in five at most people that go through trauma have PTSD. Four out of five, and sometimes even 4.5 out of five people experience PTG, post-traumatic growth, hmm. which is exactly what we want to come out of this thing. So PTSD and PTG are two different outcomes for trauma, but PTG, here's what happens, listeners. Uh, this is really key because it's very doable. People come out of a trauma with growth instead of disorders when someone listens to them vent and kids need to vent, teachers need to vent, principals need to vent. We listen empathetically. So it's listen and empathize, but we guide them into seeing, if I can use this term, the silver lining. And I know that sounds corny and cheesy, but my mother did that so well for me. I know this is awful, but look what could be as a, as a response to this. I trained my, my mom trained my brain to seal the silver lining. I think the way we get into 2021 with PTG is we're listening, we're empathizing, but then we're guiding the conversation. And Jeff, it may be we make a pro and con list. This might be a good exercise with principals, superintendents, with teachers, principals, or with students, teachers, you make a pro and con list when you do the con list of this terrible pandemic, you let everybody know, hey, I'm in touch with the negative. I am. Mm -hmm. But the pro side tells them, oh, my gosh, I would have never thought of that, that look what was invented. Look what was discovered. Look at the vaccines that were created that we that we need, that would not have come from this. Humans can do great things if we'll look at the pro and say, let's. Uh, in fact, I like to sit down with students and say, what do you have time to do that you would have never had time to do had you had that busy routine like you normally would? And I, one of them invented an app, Jeff. I'm not kidding. I, I won't go into it now, but and and then service projects. I've seen high schools, high schoolers go over and serve healthcare workers who didn't even take time to eat because they were so busy. And I I get emotional because I think this is what is supposed to happen during a pandemic. So I'll stop preaching here, but I I really think that's what we got to be doing. So uh, I want to make sure that, um, you know, I heard you correctly and so did our listeners that um, what you're recommending us to do, especially with our, our students, specific to the you know, post-traumatic uh, growth, is ensure that what has happened, some of the positive aspects of what has somehow comes to light and is discussed, Yes, um, which is almost contrary to maybe what we're hearing and seeing every day. Right. And what's wow. constantly yeah. popping is I hear you saying, how do we almost push or force the narrative relative to not just what's current, but most importantly, what's possible in the future based upon what we experience? So am I hearing that correctly? Absolutely. In fact, would you mind if I told a quick story? Please, please. Um, I love this story. And I put, I put it in the pandemic population book. 
Um, I'm so sorry. That's our puppy dog barking in the background. It's, it's actually, I thought maybe it was, it was intentional because that is, that is what happens in every one of these is someone either walks in the background or something drops or, you know, so your dog is on cue. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I immediately began to read about past pandemics when I was doing this book. And I discovered that Isaac Newton, that great mathematician and scientist, actually was going to school during a pandemic. So he was at Cambridge University in his senior year when the Great Plague of London broke out, which was the tail end of the Black Death, that huge, you know, pandemic. Yeah. Well, he got home and their own version of social distancing, Cambridge sent all the kids home. But instead of just vegging at home, which our kids might do in front of Netflix, thank God they didn't have Netflix back then in the 1600s. But um, Isaac Newton thought, wait a minute, I can study whatever I want to and do it however I want. Nobody's telling me how to do it. So he actually starts working on a project that actually became the invention of calculus. I like to think we might not even have that subject in school had he not had a pandemic. Now, some might say that's a curse, not a blessing, but that's another. Yeah, my, my daughter would say that right yeah, now. Yeah, that's right. That, that's not so good news. But uh, he also got his hands on a prism. He bore a hole in the shutter of his window, started looking at light beams, came up with his theories on optics during this pandemic, wrote them all down. And then finally, it was actually during this pandemic that he saw the apple fall from that tree and came up with the laws of motion and the law of gravity. About a year and a half later, he's back on the Cambridge campus with his theories all written out. Jeff, within six months, he was moved up to a fellow. And within one year, Isaac Newton became a full-on professor in his early 20s. And I'm thinking, not bad for a pandemic, but he see, he repurposed it. We need to tell these stories. We need to be telling these stories just to paint a new picture of hope and belief in the minds of those who, who follow. So this, this book, uh, Tim, was written, um, it's, it's, it's recent, right? This is hot off yeah. the press. Um, yeah. And when it was written, even though it was just a few months ago, um, I'm curious, at that time, if you asked me a few months ago um, and asked me to predict yeah. I would have predicted that this fall, we would have started to, to come out of this, right? Yeah. We would yeah. hopefully be in that kind of post-traumatic growth, right? Yes. But we're still in the thick of it, right? We're still yeah. in the trauma. So, you know, I'm, I, and drama. I, I guess I would ask you, um, you know, when you wrote it, you had yeah. research and perspective. What about now? Has anything shifted or changed in your mind? Because I think either so, so much or so little has happened in the past few yeah. months. It's been hard. Yeah. yeah, it has been. And when I think about our end user, that student in a classroom, they may just be looking at the adults saying, does anybody know what you're doing? You know, and, and we don't. I mean, I'm sorry. We, we have given a model that we can't seem to agree on things. So it's, it is difficult. Well, here's what I would say. Uh, two things real quick. Number one, mental health has gotten worse. Um, you, Jeff, you, you've talked about, I've talked about this uh, immensely. Uh, the CDC released a report in September. So it's a few months back, but they said one in four young adult Americans has contemplated suicide in the last month. 
due to the pandemic. So it was already bad, but it's just become where these kids feel a little helpless and a little hopeless when they look at the future. And I don't know that I blame them. So that message of hope is gonna be key. Um, but secondly, I would say um, the thing that's changed is my perspective on getting psyched up for the long haul. I think we're in a marathon with a number of sprints in the midst of it. Okay, a marathon with a number of sprints in the midst of yeah, it. Yeah. So I was reading one social scientist and I, I think I might've mentioned this in the book, but I would, I would do a whole chapter on this now. He used the metaphor of a storm and maybe your listeners could be helped by this. He said, this, we, are, we are facing a storm right now. This quarantine that we've faced, this lockdown that we're in has lasted for months and it's annoying to most of us. But he went on to say, this is all part of a longer winter season. And he said that winter season may last year to a year and a half. So a year to a year and a half of when this whole, whole thing broke in March would be this next March, maybe on into the next fall. I only say this not because I'm negative, but because I think we need to be pragmatist and realist and not just say something silly like, well, by Easter, this will all be over or by Christmas, this will, it, it may not happen. But get this, he takes the metaphor to a third level. He said, hmm. it's a storm in the midst of a winter. It may be a part of a whole new ice age. And the ice age he speaks of is maybe four to six years before we really see the realization of life maybe somewhat normal again, where we would hug and maybe not wear a mask or whatever. I don't know, but I do know this. We're better with our people as leaders when we get them ready for a tougher time. And then it's bonus if it's better than saying silly things like, hey, this is all going to be over soon. And then they just recoil in hopelessness because it didn't happen. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I have uh, one last question. And then uh, for our, our members listening, um, I'm going to go to some of your questions. I have uh, two that have been submitted already. Um, so this, this book shifts, um, you know, uh, in terms of its eight strategies, right? At the very end, I, I like the way it ended because it's like eight strategies uh, to lead Gen Z through the coronavirus. I know it's really hard to tell leaders exactly what to do, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But maybe, maybe can you um, really focus and just talk about these recommendations with us? What, yeah. what do you think our leaders need to hear most? And you've already mentioned several, um, yeah. but yes. you know, based yeah. upon those eight strategies. That's a great question, Jeff. Let me maybe have take time to do one or two real quick, sure. and then we sure. good questions. Uh, one of them is, I believe when we go through very traumatic times like this we are more uh, apt to experience cognitive distortions. You know, that's where our amygdala kicks in, that lower brain instead of the cortex, the upper brain that's logical. And we're afraid, and when we're afraid, we don't become the best version of ourselves. Is that okay to say? Yes. It's fight or flight, I don't know. And we see parents getting maybe ridiculous and they don't mean to be, they're not bad people. It's just a bad time. So cognitive distortions are just that. They're when our brains are not thinking logical and we do exaggerated thinking, we personalize everything. That's another distortion where anything that goes wrong, I must be horrible or you must be horrible. And I think superintendents, administrators, principals need to be saying, now, wait a minute, that, that's a distortion. And maybe we need to call it out on ourselves when we use hyperbole and then we, we, we step back. We've got to help people see when that's an emotional response, not a rational one. I just think that's important. And I... Yeah. 
so I know we're not all psychologists here, but we've got to be thinking, how do we help them? Um, secondly, I would say I had an exercise with a rising senior in high school that was very informative to me. It informed my leadership. As I was helping him think through accurate memory, but positive narrative, I was wanting to help him guide his own narrative, the story he was telling himself. We are all going to tell ourselves stories. So we decided, Jeff, to use a metaphor. Um, you know how much I love images. Yes. Okay? So we chose a metaphor that actually became a brand new habitude. Um, but the metaphor was candles or brush fires. And Jeff, I don't know if we talked about this before, but let me very quickly describe it. Please. So these habitudes are mostly helpful because they're images where we compare and contrast. So a candle and a brush fire are both flames. They both have to do with fire, but they're very different. You all know listening that a candle can be put out with a small breath. We all blew out our birthday candles, even if we're old with a tiny breath and they're out. They're extinguished quickly. A brush fire not only can withstand a breath, it can withstand a strong wind. And not only withstand a strong wind, it gets bigger with a strong wind. I have friends and family living in California that were asking us to pray against the wind during those brush fires because they just got bigger. Yeah. So this became a metaphor for this student and I. We both kind of laughed and said, let's text each other and be and be asking, are you, a, are you a brush fire? Are you a candle? Are you a brush fire? Now, it's only an attitude. There's no six steps or seven steps. But I just got a text, Jeff, and I'm going to get emotional again. I just got a text from this senior who's in his fall semester. And he said, Dr. T, he said, I'm a brush fire this fall. I'm going into finals as a brush fire. And I thought, that's the spirit. And that is the story he's telling himself now, rather than I'm going out like a candle. So one is extended, one is extinguished. We make the choice. Got it, got it, thank you. Um, so here's a, here's a question that came in and you've touched on it, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna add a little flavor to it. Okay. Okay. Um, what strategies can we deploy as educational leaders to spur staff and students to reflect all the positives that exist during this pandemic so we can shape the positive narratives moving into 2021? Um, now, um, I'm just going to say we have we have let's say a superintendents you know, where they're you know they have hundreds of students and then we have some where they're you know thousands. In my mind, it really doesn't make any difference, right? The, the strategy yeah. is a strategy, and yeah. they're sitting not with students every day, right? Yeah. So yeah. they're not they don't have students every day to say, hey, let's let's talk about you know some of the positive things that you're learning in this time. So from a leadership perspective, what would you tell them? in terms of helping them shape that narrative in, in terms of with community, because yeah. that's what they're yeah. trying to impact is community. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question, by the way. First thing that raced through my mind, Jeff, was we need to practice psychological distancing. Now, we all know what social distancing is. That's staying six feet apart. You know the practice psychological distancing. This is so good for educators because we all know what to tell the kids, but are we practicing what we're preaching? You know, Are we living out what we're saying to them? So psychological distancing happens when we say, well, let's just say we're talking to a student and we just, we're seeing they're really getting a negative attitude through this whole thing. Psychological distancing is, say, is to say to them, if you had a best friend that was really going through a tough time, just emotionally and mentally, maybe anxiety, whatever, what advice would you give them? Well, you and I both know teenagers have really good advice. They're going on YouTube, giving good <laughs> advice right now. 
we, psychological distancing is when we say, I want you to go in the bathroom and I look in the mirror and give yourself that advice and take it. So uh, part of the answer is for principals with their teachers and superintendents with the principals to say, hey, listen, we all know the right answers, but let's practice right now. And maybe we do that pro and con list with the adult peers that we're with. And we do the pro and con list. It is not patronizing to do that. We'll all get the negatives for sure. That'll be a long list. But we may be amazed even with these colleagues to make that positive list. So can I tell you another story that will you can pass yeah, on with your people? One of my favorite stories of what I'm saying is the story of Gene Tunney. Now, in this book, Jeff, you might remember because you gave, gave a very kind review. I appreciate that. But I say the key is we've got to turn this interruption into an introduction. That's the key. And I, I know that's kind of Zig Ziglar cheesy right there, but words are very important, superintendents. So let's see if we can turn this interruption into an introduction. So Gene Tunney grew up during the first part of the 20th century, and he set a goal to be a professional boxer. He wanted to be a boxer. He wanted to be a fighter. Well, into his young adult career, Jack Dempsey was the heavyweight champion of the world, and he looked invincible. For seven straight years, Dempsey, D Jack Dempsey was just unbeatable. Tunney set a goal. I want to fight that guy one day. But while he was away in Europe, in the military, tragedy struck. Gene Tunney broke all the fingers in both of his hands. His coach and his doctor both said, Gene, you're going to have to give up boxing. Your fingers are going to come back too brittle. You won't be able to box. Well, long story short, he says, nope. I'm going to do it. I'm going to change my methods for getting ready, but I'm going to keep my mission. Great statement. So Gene Tunney began to train himself in some very different ways, like the art of self-defense, using a different part of his hand. He began to train himself on how to run backwards because you got to run backwards if you're going to fight Jack Dempsey a few rounds. Bottom line, he got his chance to fight Jack Dempsey and he beat him. Dempsey was so humiliated, Dempsey challenged him to a rematch. Tunney beat him a second time. What I, the reason I share this story with listeners is this. Fistic experts who understand boxing tell us this. They say there's no way that Gene Tunney could have beaten Jack Dempsey had he not broken all the fingers in both of his hands. It was the very interruption that became the introduction to his goal. They said no one could go toe to toe and head to head with Dempsey and come out alive. It was the fact that he had that tragedy. If we can tell stories like this and say, what could happen? I bet you the human ingenuity that's inside of every one of us could come out and just maybe we come up with the greatest thing that's ever happened to our school district. And we go, thank God for that pandemic back in 2020. <laughs> well, that, that, that would be my hope, right? Yes. That would be yes. my hope. And I'm, I'm really, I, I, we're going we're gonna to end with that, Tim, because I, I had a superintendent the other day say to me, I, I don't know if I can, um, and, and bless you principals, but he would say, I, I, I am, I'm sick and I don't think I can hear another gripe and complaint yeah. from my principals. I yeah. can't, like, I, I don't think I can take it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, what a great advice for him um, that you just gave. And how do, how do you, how do you guide even adults to kind of change that yeah. narrative and look in that mirror? So I, I appreciate that. And I, I appreciate you, Tim. Thank you so much for, for doing this and, and being with us and giving really, really practical input. I love your book. And I'm going to just tell our listeners this. Um, we're going to send one to you. So um, our listeners today, uh, Leading Ed, we, that's one reason we asked for your address, even though we, it made it easy for us. When you registered this, we had you put your address because 
we're going to send you a book. So we're going to be sending you, uh, sending you Tim's book, Pandemic Population, um, and you'll see. Um, it's great. And um, I once again, uh, I thank you, Tim. Appreciate you. Jeff, I appreciate what you do. Thanks for what you do with superintendents across the country. I'm, I'm so grateful. Okay. All right. Well, hey, be well. Um, ladies and gentlemen, have a wonderful um, rest of the day and rest of the end of this great week and have a beautiful weekend. Take care.